devotion is the state of being dedicated, consecrated, or solemnly set apart for a particular purpose. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We are journeying through 2 Corinthians and we're back on track. We had a quick praise pod break and now we're back on track with 2 Corinthians. And we are talking about 2 Corinthians 11 today. And the, the message title today is Undivided Devotion. Undivided Devotion. Now, what is devotion? If someone had to walk up to you and say, hey, define devotion, what would you say? Do we understand it? Do we know what it is? I'm going to help you. Don't worry. So the Noah Webster Dictionary says devotion is the state of being dedicated, the state of being dedicated, consecrated, or solemnly set apart for a particular purpose. When it comes to our relationship with God, there's another definition, a solemn attention to the supreme being in worship, a yielding of the heart and affections to God with reverence, faith, in prayer and meditation. How devoted am I? Should we all ask ourselves? When we read that definition, a state of being dedicated, consecrated, solemnly set apart for a particular purpose. Solemn attention to the supreme being that we worship. Sure. Do we have any teachers in the house? Any teachers? How many times a day do you have to ask children to pay attention? Have you ever used the term, I need your undivided attention right now? Anyone? Anyone have ever used that? Any wives with their husbands? I need your undivided attention now. Stop playing video games or sport or whatever. Focus. Years and years and years ago, well, not that many long ago, but long ago, we, my wife and I came across this um, guy who te- teaches on marriage and he does the laugh your way to a better marriage course and he how many of you have seen that anyone laugh your way to a better marriage so he does this thing where he explains how different a man's brain works to a woman's brain all right and he says the man's brain is compartmentalized we have box for everything when i'm watching tv i'm in my tv box when i'm making lunch i'm in my lunch box <laughs> 
when I'm with my wife, I'm in my marriage box, you know. Boxes for everything. And it's nice and neat and packed. A, a woman's brain is like a ball of yarn. Everything is connected to everything else at the same time. So women tend to not understand why they can't speak to a, a, her man while he's doing something else and remember and understand everything she just said. Shortly before we watched this series, what used to happen, we were living in Johannesburg. I had an office and my wife had an office and they were adjacent to each other. And I would be working, making music, programming something or recording something. And there would be instructions shouted through the door. Remember to pick up, blah, 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 blah. remember to get, blah, 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 blah. and then I, as a good husband, would go, yeah, sure, baby, sure. And then two hours later, so did you do it? Do what? <laughs> get what? What are you talking about? And then she would get frustrated, and I would go, I don't know what you're talking about, so, you know. Then we watched this DVD, and she's like, oh my word, gave us a boxy. So, so then after that, she would do this. She would come up to me and say, can I please invite you out of your programming box? I need to talk to you about children now. And then I would go, okay, let's talk children. And it worked. It worked for a while. <laughs> so the same way that she needed my undivided attention we're going to talk about what it means to have undivided devotion today. So what does it mean if something is divided? When you divide something, you part it. You separate, listen to this, you separate an entire thing in two parts. You separate an entire thing in two pieces. That's what divide means. You understand? So, if we were to divide our devotion to God, it is to separate our entire state of being solemnly dedicated and consecrated to Him and His purposes in two pieces. One piece of us will be to God dedicated and another piece will be dedicated to someone or something else. We will be yielding half of our heart, half of our affection, half of our reverence, half of our faith, and be semi-focused when we pray and meditate. I hope you can all see that divided devotion is actually no devotion. Can you see that? If you don't see it yet, ask a woman that's married. If she would be happy if her husband's attention and devotion was divided between her and another woman. Any wives would go, yeah, sure, it's fine. No, then you need help. Because when it's divided devotion, it becomes no devotion. Am I? Understand? All right. In today's chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses the devotion of the church to the original preaching that he did about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel. 
that he preached to them originally, and he warns them against anyone who would come and corrupt, distract, or lead them astray to what he calls another or a different Jesus spirit or gospel. Paul presented them with the true identity, character, and purpose of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel, which led them to salvation. The Corinthian church were all pagans. Not one of the Corinthians grew up in a Christian home or a Jewish home. They were all pagans who got saved. When he wrote 1 Corinthians to them, they were just three years old in Christ. That's why there were so many problems. Now he, so, but he's preaching of Jesus and the spirit and the gospel was what got them saved and what started their devotion to Christ. Now, time passed, Jesus didn't change, the Holy Spirit didn't change, the gospel didn't change, but the words of certain other people, other leaders, started to come into their ears and they allowed it to change how they were thinking. And it changed their thinking of the true nature of Jesus, the Spirit, and the gospel. The challenge of their compromised devotion is also linked to other so-called leaders criticizing, defaming, and slandering Paul. So you see that their attack on Paul's true identity, character, and purpose, and they attack that, and in the process, they cast doubt on the Jesus gospel and spirit that he preached. Do you hear that? So they, they sowed doubt about the source of the information. And then the information itself was put into doubt. Do you see that? Therefore, in this chapter, Paul goes into detail to explain to them how what he has sacrificed and suffered for the sake of the raw, simple truth of Jesus, the Spirit and the gospel. He tells them everything. He's very straightforward with them. And for all of us who say... For all of us today who say that I wear the name of the one who wore my sins, calling myself a Christian, we need to make sure that we believe and hold on to the correct, biblical, simple truth of who Jesus is, who the Spirit is, and who, what the gospel is. Amen? Are you ready to dive in and make sure? Anyone? Thank you. So, let's start reading the Bible. Who believes the Bible is the word of God? Who believes it should be taken very seriously? That I should live my life according to this word because the word is Jesus. Good. Starte. Corinthians 11 from verse 1. I'm going to read from the New Living and then also give you one part in the New King James. It says, I hope you will put up with me a little more with a little bit more of my foolishness. Bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. Listen to this. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent, you happily put up 
with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they preach, listen to this, a different Jesus than the one we preached or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. It almost starts to sound like a rap song. I want to read verse 2 to 4 in the New King James to you as well. He says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you. That's so beautiful. I've betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Listen to the language. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the, listen to this word, simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes, other people, preaches, listen to the word, they preached another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So, we're going to pause there for a moment in reading the scriptures. He's talking about them, he's fearing that they are believing. So there's, it's almost like he's seeing a pattern and he's a little bit worried and he's now jumping in here going, I'm seeing where this is going. Can you pick that up? Guys, you're heading in a very bad direction. And I need to feel as your spiritual dad, I need to jump in right now and just say, here's some warning signs. And he's, he's talking about a different Jesus, Holy Spirit and gospel than what he and his team preached to them. You pick up on that. He said, I promised you as a pure bride to Christ. A bride is What? Devoted or not devoted to her bridegroom. She's hopefully waiting patiently for the day of their betrothal. It's a very serious matter. He is speaking like a father who had made a promise to a man who wants to marry his daughter. Can you hear that beautiful language? Loving language. Committed, covenant language. But he fears that the church's pure devotion has been divided, corrupted, just like Eve's with the serpent. Now, what happened with Eve? Who can remember that with the woman? God created them to be devoted to him, right? Would you agree? He put a test in the middle of the garden because faithfulness and devotion is non-existent if it is not tested. The serpent came to the woman and tempted her by first making her doubt the character of God. He called God a liar. He said, you, he said to her, when she said, if I eat from that tree, I will die. He said, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. New information. Sounds fancy. Sounds different than what I've been hearing, right? He lies to her about God being a liar. He paints God as holding out on them. Can you see that? And he's hanging a carrot on a stick that they can be like God. 
And in that moment, he's appealing to pride, the self, and rebellion to pop up. And unfortunately, it does. He then says they happily put up, Paul then, I'm back to Paul, he says this church puts up happily with what everyone tells them. He's basically saying, you have no discernment of when someone is lying to you, or even if you do discern it, you have no backbone to stand up for what you know to be true. And that's what happened with the woman. She, she had one little moment of, yeah, but God said, and then the serpent said, well, God's lying. And then she went, okay, he must be lying. No discernment that this serpent is probably not a good thing to listen to. Secondly, even if you do discern it's bad, you can still listen because, hey, it sounds good to my flesh. It sounds much better than what God said. God said, no, no, no touchy, touchy. I'm like, no, but I want to. What, do you, what happens when you tell a child no? I don't know about your three-year-old, but my three-year-old looks at me, looks at the thing and goes, and sees what I will do. Right? They test. Test the boundaries. Unfortunately, there were no second chances in that moment. Paul then says, do not let your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. The gospel, the truth of Jesus, according to Paul, is actually quite simple. He's saying, guys, the gospel is not complicated. You know who Jesus is. I've told you. you uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't need any more information. You're a sinner. He's a savior. Jesus is the only one who can save you. Boom. You need him. You've got to die to live in him. Okay? So, who, who could the different Jesus, the different Holy Spirit, and the gospel be? Because if they're believing a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel, what could they be believing? I would say that basically anything someone teaches or preaches that does not line up with the Holy Scriptures, that's your broad base checkpoint, is what they're saying, lining up with what the Scriptures say. Now I know that they didn't have New Testament at the time. But what they did have was 1 Corinthians, where Paul made it very clear who, who Jesus was. Anything that soothes, what else, how else do we know? It's, not, it's a different Jesus, spirit, or gospel. Anything that soothes your flesh and makes you feel comfortable. <laughs> it's probably not the full truth. As soon as you go, oh, that's great. I'm like, it doesn't challenge me doesn't take me to a next level, I'm good. Probably not the full truth. Probably a different Jesus, right? Ooh, some of you don't want to hear this. How else do you know it's false? Anything that makes you feel more important than God or makes you believe you deserve something or are entitled to something, probably not the right Jesus, spirit, or gospel. Would you agree? Five of you. That's good to start. So what is the correct Jesus spirit and gospel that Paul preached? If we know what that is, then we will also know what it's not. All right, so let's dive in. What did Paul say in Colossians 1 about who Jesus is? Let's read that together. 1 Colossians 1, uh, Colossians 1 from verse 15. Christ is the, invisi the, the visible image of the invisible God. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. Wow. And he holds all creation together. Jesus holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church. Who's the head of this church? Christ Jesus, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all uh, who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. God the Father, Yahweh, lived inside Jesus. And through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself that was broken through what happened with the woman when she ate, when the serpent tempted her. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. How do we know what the true spirit is? 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4 and 10 to 14. And my message and my preaching were very plain, he says to them. This is the same church previous letter. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. How do I know what I'm preaching? It was revealed to me by the Spirit. For the Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. That's what the Spirit does. No one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Who is the Spirit? That's the Spirit. Who can relate to the Spirit? Those who are spiritual. Those who are truly born again. Are you following? What is the true gospel? In 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 1, it says, this is again Paul writing to the same church previous letter. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news. Everybody say good news. I preached to you before. You welcomed it then. When I preach it to you the first time, and you still stand firm in it, well done. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. If. Interesting. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. Boom. I won't drop the mic, it's too expensive. That's a drop the mic moment. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. 
Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and, the, and by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. They, he, uh, then he was seen by James, and he tells the whole thing of how many people saw him as a confirmation. But there in the middle, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He's confirming something he said to them previously and saying this is the gospel. And now in 2 Corinthians, he is reminding them again that it's easy to forget, to be distracted, to fall out of line with what you know the truth is once you lend your ears to people who are preaching a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. Do not allow it to happen. Amen? I'm going to read quite a large part now of the rest of 2 Corinthians. Please bear with me and concentrate. I want your undivided attention. All right. From verse five. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles. Can you hear Paul being a little bit sarcastic? To teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And then I was with you and didn't have enough to live on. I did not become a financial burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. Who can remember that two chapters ago we heard that Macedonia was a poor area. He was being supported by the poor area to preach in the seemingly more rich area. I have never been a burden to you and I never will be. What's he saying? I never wanted money to become an issue so that anyone can say, hey, he's just doing this because we're paying him. He was doing it from a real burden to share the gospel. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows that I do. But I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as, himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. What's he saying? People preaching a different Jesus, a different gospel, and a different spirit are workers of Satan. In the end, they will get their punishment, their wicked deeds deserve. Yo. Verse 19. After all, you think you are so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything and slaps you in the face. Sure. 
I want to read to you how verse 19 and 20 sounds in the New King James. It says, for you put up with fools gladly. How many of you heard the, the idiomatic expression, you suffer fools gladly? This comes from the Bible. Since you yourself are so wise, for you put up with, with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. You put up with it. I'm going to continue. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. Now, he's going to go into his own CV of what he has suffered and gone through for the gospel, the true gospel, the true spirit, and the true Jesus. I have worked hard, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. I want, uh, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys, I've faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles, getting it from both sides. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts and on the seas, and I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. Paul sacrificed and suffered for the truth of the real Jesus, the real spirit, and the real gospel. He has people going around telling others lies about his character, his integrity, ability, and credibility. This, in turn, makes the ones who so foolishly listen to these false apostles and prophets doubt the Jesus, the spirit, and the gospel that Paul preached. Can you see that? When someone causes the source of the truth to be compromised, then the information that was shared becomes compromised. Are you with me? Does it make sense? The serpent was able to tempt the woman to sin because he first sowed doubt about the source of the truth she believed. With the source in doubt, the commandment was in doubt. By casting doubt on the source, he took her from being fully devoted to God and heeding the command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil lest you should die. She went from that to rebelling against God for her own gain. Do you see that? What a modern day lies about Jesus. He is weak. He's only a prophet. He's not the son of God. He loves everyone so much that their sin doesn't matter. Everyone goes to heaven. 
Modern day lies about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't exist. It's all about experiencing goosebumps. He doesn't move in power anymore. There's no more miracles, no more gifts of the Spirit. Modern day lies about the gospel. There is more than one way to the Father. All people are basically good, and God is a loving God, and He will let everyone into heaven, surely. I'm sure God will have grace for my sin. It's not that bad. After all, Jesus died for it, didn't He? So I can keep on sinning. Now, if anyone takes any of those clips and posts it online and says, listen to what Heinz preaches, <laughs> you know what the context was. But those are lies that people believe. If you take the pure word, the pure truth of who Jesus is, and you adjust it even by 1%, it is not the truth anymore. If you divide your devotion to serving that Jesus, even by 1%, you are not devoted. If we allow others preaching opinions, strong opinions given with seeming authority, to infiltrate our minds and our thinking about who we know Jesus is, then we are like the Corinthian church who lacks either lack discernment to pick up that, hey, this is not, this is not from God, or I pick up that something is not lacquer, but this person seems so convinced and I'm still learning, so maybe, you know, there's something about this. And the moment you do that, there's agreement. And then you go down a rabbit hole of believing a false Jesus, a false spirit, and a false gospel. On Friday, the opening talk at the JLS was about trust by Craig Rochelle. And he said that trust is the thing that is most lacking in modern day times. The way people trusted 20, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, is not the same way they trust today. And you might think people trust you, but they probably don't. And he said that in order to, to gain trust, to have trust in your church, your organization, you need to have transparency, empathy, and consistency. Transparency is a truth to share Empathy is a heart to care. And consistency is just about being boring. Doing the same thing right over and over again. So I have a, a difficult thing to share today because it's been fascinating to me that God led us to go through 2 Corinthians at this time. One can listen to the past few weeks' messages and and think Heinz is being passive-aggressive because some people have been saying things about him and leaving the church 
and now he's just trying to make himself like Paul. But it's not how it is. God said do two Corinthians, and I did, and as I started studying it, I'm like, wow, there are a lot of similarities. So I'm going to be, do something scary and be transparent with you today. I know that many of the people who were in our church and have left have criticized me, criticized people in our team, criticized how we do things. And what this does is it does exactly the same thing that it did with Eve and God, Paul and the Corinthian church. When you sow doubt about the person called and it takes hold of someone, then there's doubt about everything they say, everything they do. Unfortunately, due to many circumstances and many things that have happened, this has happened in our community. And it breaks my heart, and it's been a very tough year in that sense. And I'm still healing from that, to be quite honest with you. But I've had to, I've had to go and search, why am I doing this in the first place? And some of the conversations and some of the issues and offenses that were taken, it came right down to this thing. Who is Jesus? Who is the Spirit? And what is the gospel? And I just, I cannot compromise on any of those things. And I will not. And people use words and arguments and clever ways of twisting facts to, to put you in a bad light. And there's a lot, there's, there's moments in me where I've wanted to stand up and defend myself, drive to people's homes and just tell them, stop, just stop what you're doing. And then I have to remember what the Bible teaches, which is that I need to love, I need to forgive, but also that vengeance is not mine. Vengeance is the Lord's. And I need to be on the right side of who Jesus is, on the right side of how his spirit operates, on the right side of what the gospel teaches us. And it's, it's hard. And I, when I read Paul's letter, my heart breaks. Because I'm like, Paul, I get you, bro. When people spread lies about you, your character, who you are, why you're doing it, how you're doing it, yo, it sucks. But you know what hurts more? It's when people believe those lies. And they... They align their actions and their decisions according to those lies. And if they were still willing to stick around after being compromised, I could pick up. They're not listening to anything I'm preaching. They cannot receive from me because they've shut the door because they believe the lie.
I'm also sharing this, and it's the hard part is that I don't want to talk about myself. I want to talk about Jesus. But the other reason I'm sharing this is I know some of you feel exactly the same way in your context. If you have been the victim of slander, gossip, character assassination, and, and if relationships have deteriorated because of those things, if you are bold enough, would you raise your hand to say, it's happened to me? Thank you. See, you're not alone. It hurts. It sucks. And you know what's really hard for me personally is in my nature, before Christ, I was a full-on people pleaser. I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to applaud me. Still after I got saved and I started doing leading, you know, uh, doing music and being on a stage and having all this attention, every time I walked off a stage, I needed someone to just say, well done. Otherwise, I felt like it was a bad show. I had such a fear of man. I had such a fear of people's opinions. And I was in a game, the music industry, where the success or the lack of success has everything to do with people liking you or not liking you. So I was also conditioned to be aware of that. Then God said to me, plant a church. <laughs> Go do something where people will definitely criticize you, not like everything you say. And when you say the gospel of the truth, they will probably hate you and walk away. Good. Let's do this. But by the grace of God... What has become so important to me, by the grace of God, what has become more important to me is, is what an audience of one thinks of me. And that's my God. I know that I know he called me to do this. And I know I have many weaknesses. I know. But it's in those weaknesses that God shines. I told him from the beginning, Lord, after I gave him every reason, I shouldn't be doing this. I said to him, okay, Lord, I will show up. I will show up every Sunday and I will be obedient. I will bring what you tell me to bring. I will sing what you tell me to sing. I will share what you tell me to share. But you have to bring the people. And he did that. And he's still doing it. But it's been heart-wrenching to see some of the people come probably for wrong reasons and Expectations that were never met and then go. After hours and hours and hours of worshiping together, breaking the word open together, praying together, seeing the Holy Spirit touch their lives. 
I don't know how that works. I don't know how you can experience the fullness of the truth of the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and weep on your knees before a living God and the next moment allow a mere human being's opinion to move you away from that. I don't get it. It shows me, like Paul says, the enemy is cunning. He's effective. This building should be too small for us. My heart breaks every time I don't see a chair filled. I'll be honest with you. I'm being transparent so much. You might not come back next week. I don't know. But when I start the service and the chairs are empty, it's hard. Because I know who should be in those chairs and they're not here. And then I think of the story that Jesus tells. He said the master had a banquet. And he told his servants to go and invite the people. And they all had excuses and they didn't come. And then the master got angry. And he said, go invite all, these, all, the, all the poor people. Go into the streets and get everyone here. And he had the feast for them. And when the others were finally ready to come, it was too late. I'm not saying this is exactly the same way. All I know is that if God spoke to you and said, be there, that is your place in the body of Christ, and he hasn't spoken to you again, don't move. Don't move. The safest place for any one of us to be is in the perfect will of a father. I try to stay there. Sometimes I fail and my thoughts go into a negative space. Thank God he brings me back. And he always brings it back to these three things that Paul is talking about. Who is Jesus? Who is the Spirit? What is the gospel? It is simple. It is straightforward. It stays true. Before him, I was one way. After him, I was another. I need you to know that even if all of you leave, I will keep doing this. Because it's a hard thing. I'm doing it for God. And I'm doing it for you, but I'm not doing it firstly for you. I'm doing it firstly for him. And I want you to know that God gives so many chances. So many. He's given me so many. I don't deserve. But there is a point where his hand of grace is lifted and he hands you over to your own devices. Don't let it get to that place. Please. You don't want to be a Romans 1 person where it says that he let them get lost in their own depravity and their own thinking. That's a horrible place to be.
There's many things I'm not. There's many ways I will probably disappoint you. I will probably offend you at some point. But I will never compromise the word of God. If you had an expectation coming here of getting a nice TED talk by an ex-idle singer, sorry, ne? This is not what we're doing here. I have died. My career has died. It's not about me. I'm a vessel. I'm a willing vessel. I'm a vessel. I'm a Heinz. I'm a... This bias knocks on Afrikaans. It's blame my normal new vessel near it's a bias knocks or is it? What I want you to know is that I love God above all else. But in that, He gave me a love for you that I cannot understand. And and it, it drives me. I want to see all of you do well. I want to see all of you thrive. I want to see all of you be the people that God has called you to be. And when I when I read, when I tell you week after week why our name is Love Key and what our values are and that you should join a connect and be part of a serving team, it's not because I want to irritate you with the same information over and over again. It's because that's why we are here and if you start to do that, you will mature as a Christian. If you don't, you won't mature because hearing a message is just mental assent if you don't apply word of God in real life situations with real people that will annoy you, irritate you, offend you and rub you the wrong way. Because where else are you going to learn to love, forgive, let go, serve, die to self? It's in community. Jesus had 12 disciples. Three were very close to him. He did life with them. Do you think Jesus got irritated by them? Do you think they got irritated with Jesus? But they changed the world. We can fulfill God's assignment to save the Helderberg. We can. But we have to be united. We have to be united. And at the least, we have to be united about who Jesus is, who his spirit is, and what the gospel is then we can change anything. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.